The book of Revelation can often trouble us. It can often lead us into fear and trembling. When you read through this book, there's terrifying imagery. Imagery that if it were put to a movie, it would probably give most of us nightmares. There's images of God's judgment, images of God's wrath. There's fire, there's brimstone, there's death, there's destruction, there's war, there's tribulation, there's trials, there are great battles. And it can truly be a horror book if these are the only things that you see. But what's the main point? What's the purpose of this book? What is Revelation about? If you look at Revelation 1.1, John tells us what this book is about. He says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ in all the imagery, in all the destruction, in all the warfare. The purpose of Revelation is not to terrify you. The purpose of Revelation is to show you Jesus Christ. And in, as it shows us Christ, it ought to comfort us. So what does Revelation show us of Jesus? And what does it have to do with us here today in 2018? I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 12 and follow along as I read verses 7 through 12. And as I read, ask yourself the question, what's the point? What's the purpose of this passage? Revelation 12, verses 7 through 12. And again, I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason... Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. This passage is about victory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you, Jesus, that your word shows us who you are, and in this passage, your word shows us your victory. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive this message today. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. And Father, help us to put into practice these words and help us to see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This passage, again, this book is about victory. When you read Revelation, don't forget about the victory that this book is proclaiming. But in our passage this morning, it, it begins by drawing our eyes to a place that we have never seen. To a place that we have heard plenty about. Brings our eyes to heaven. Heaven is a place that we're longing for, that we look forward to someday. A place where there is only goodness. A place of love. A place of endless pleasure, of fulfillment, of satisfaction. 
things that the world is promising you, that the devil promises you. But as we saw in the children's sermon, the devil's a liar. And we're only going to see these things in Christ, in heaven, someday. It's a place where there is no tears, no sadness, no sin, no evil, no darkness, with streets of gold. It's a place of peace, a place of wonder. It's a place where there is the presence of God. It's a place of victory, and it's going to be great. And I look forward to being in that place one day when God calls me home, and I'm sure you do the same as well. But in all of these descriptions that I just gave of heaven, and in all of the descriptions that you've ever heard of heaven or you've imagined of heaven, have you ever thought that it was a battlefield? Have you ever thought that heaven was a battlefield? Here in this text, in verse 7, we see that there is a battle going on, that there is a war. As Jesus is revealing this vision to John, he reveals to him a war in heaven. And we aren't given the battle plan for how this war was fought or what happened when or where or different things like that. But we see who's involved and we see the result of this war. Verse 7 says it's Michael and his angels against the dragon and his angels. Michael, one of the important angels, one of two who are named in Scripture. And here the dragon and his angels. But who is this dragon? Verse 9 in the text identifies this dragon as the great dragon, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan and who deceives the whole world. The dragon is Satan. The dragon is the devil. And so we see this war in heaven as John is getting this revelation of Jesus Christ, which asks the question, what is Satan doing in heaven? If heaven is a place of peace, a place of love, a place of no sin, a place of glory, what is Satan doing up there? In the Revelation, John hears a loud voice from heaven, which tells us what Satan is doing up there, what he was doing up there. He says, the accuser of our brethren, he who accuses them before our God day and night. So what is Satan doing in the presence of God in heaven? The text tells us he is accusing. Satan is accusing. That name Satan literally means to be an enemy, to accuse, to slander, or an adversary, an enemy, or accuser. This is who Satan is. This is what he does. He is an accuser. He is our enemy. And for reasons we aren't given, God had permitted Satan for a time to be in his presence. In the book of Job, Satan presents himself before the Lord, and the Lord asks him, where did you come from? And they continue to have a conversation there in heaven. In the book of Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest, is coming before the Lord, and Satan is right there at his right hand. And Satan, again, has a conversation with the Lord in heaven. For whatever reason, the Lord had permitted Satan to be in his presence for a time, but not any more. Here in Revelation, John sees Michael and his angels waging war against Satan and his angels. Satan and his angels try to stand their ground, but to no avail. The text says they were no longer strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Satan and his angels are no longer permitted in heaven. They're no longer permitted in the presence of God. They've been expelled for good. 
He is down and he is out. But he's not done yet. But Satan is bound and Satan is defeated. This text is showing John, Satan has been defeated. He has been cast down. He is no longer accusing in heaven. can't imagine what it would have been like for John to see this picture. To see this battle going on, this excitement of Satan being cast down. But the excitement only grows as the revelation continues in verse 10. An even greater scene is shared with John in verse 10, and this is what he describes for us. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. Satan has been kicked out of heaven, and in his place is someone else. In his place is Christ in place of the accuser is now an advocate, the advocate whose, lamb has, whose blood, the lamb whose blood was shed to silence the accusations, the lamb whose blood was shed to take guilt away, to remove the stains of sin and to establish righteousness. This is who stands in God's presence now. What a great day. What great news. What an amazing vision to see. What a great victory. Rather than an accuser standing there telling God of all the things that we've done wrong, we have an advocate standing there telling God of all the things that he has done right to cover our sin. This vision must have excited John. Imagine seeing these events before your eyes. Seeing Satan be defeated. Seeing Jesus taking his seat on his throne at the right hand of God to rule and to reign for all eternity. And what great benefits that Jesus brings as he sits on his throne. The text says salvation, power, the kingdom of God and authority. The next question that comes is when would it come? When would this happen? When would Jesus take this throne? When does Jesus get this authority? When does Jesus get the power? When does the kingdom of God come? When does salvation come? Some say this points ahead to after a time of great tribulation. When Jesus comes to rule on this earth, when he establishes an earthly kingdom of God here, and he reigns for a thousand years, and he will have authority and power. But my question with that is, what about now? But what about now? God's word says that he highly exalted him that he bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This verse isn't pointing ahead to some future far-off distant time. This verse is pointing back to something that has happened. And just before that verse in Philippians, God explains why this happened. God did this because Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. While this war is raging on in heaven, as John watches it, the final decisive blow happened here on this earth with Jesus Christ. It happened here when the serpent bruised the heel of the seed of the woman. 
It happened here when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for all sins. For this reason, God exalted him. Jesus even says himself at the end of Matthew, as he is preparing to go back into heaven, to be with his Father, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. He has all authority. It's been given to him. And in Ephesians 1, Paul writes of Christ being seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning now. Not only in these passages in Philippians and Ephesians and Matthew, but in our texts here in Revelation. What does it say in verse 10? Now have come. Now have come. That's present. That's now. It's an action that happened in the past that we live in its fulfillment now. That means salvation has come. The kingdom of God has come. The authority of Christ has come. It's already been inaugurated. The problem with looking forward to these things happening in a future time and saying it's not now is that Scripture is clear. It is now. When Christ ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, all of these things have begun and have been inaugurated and established. Christ is ruling and reigning now. And so that means today, you and I live in this fulfillment. That means that the accuser no longer stands before the throne of God, telling God of all the things that we've ever done wrong in our lives. But instead, in his place is our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, who stands beside the Father, pointing back once again to his wounds, to his blood that was shed for you, pointing back to the cross where Scripture says, All, every sin that was ever tied to your name has been nailed to the cross and taken care of. It is finished. Today we live in the advocacy of Christ. And living in this advocacy of Christ gives us confidence. It gives us courage. It gives us clarity. It gives us victory. It reveals to us truth. John sees the ones who had gone on before him in the confidence of Christ. The martyrs whose blood has been shed. Those who had overcome the accusations of the accuser as the text says. And how did they do it? It says they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their life even when faced with death. That though the devil tormented them by their accusations, reminding them of the guilt, reminding them of their hypocrisy, reminding them of every reason they can't be saved, they didn't trust in the devil's lies. They trusted in the blood of the Lamb. And they were sustained. These saints overcame the devil and his arrows and are now in the presence of the Lamb. Because Jesus' blood didn't just get rid of the guilt, it got rid of the stain. It didn't just get rid of the guilt and the stain, it got rid of the accuser. And it's gotten rid of anything the devil has to say about us. And now his claims are false. Because you and I have been forgiven for the sake of Christ. And for this reason, 
for this salvation, for this freedom, for this deliverance, because we have an advocate with the Father now, and because the devil has been defeated, the voice calls to the heavens and all who dwell in them, and it says, Rejoice! Rejoice! The war is won. The victory has come. Celebrate. Celebrate the Lord returning triumphantly to claim his rightful seat at God's right hand. In all authority and power, Christ is ruling and reigning. And so John says, as he hears in this revelation, all the heavens are declaring rejoice. All who dwell in heaven rejoice in what has taken place. Celebrate this victory that Christ has won through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Satan is defeated, cast down, thrown out of heaven for good. Christ rules and Christ reigns. And that is something to celebrate. And so we as Christians have a reason to celebrate because Christ has triumphed. But we also have another reason to celebrate. That is that Christ sustains. Christ sustains. Satan has been thrown down. He's been defeated. He is bound. Yet in verse 12 it continues. We read the end of verse 12. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Yes, Satan has been cast out of heaven, but the text tells us where he is currently now, roaming around this earth, seeking those he can devour, seeking those he can destroy, seeking families, marriages, ministries, cultures, societies, anywhere where he can instill doubt rather than faith in what Christ has done. Anything that he can do to wreak havoc, Because the text says he is down here on this earth and he is ticked. He's ticked off and he knows that his clock is ticking. He's not roaming around this earth checking out the seven wonders of the world. He's here to cause chaos and to cause destruction and to tell people lies and to lead them astray. Revelation 12 goes on to describe the persecution that Satan will inflict on the church as he is here on this earth. But even though he tries to inflict the church, trying to destroy her, he won't succeed. Jesus says the gates of hell will not avail over the church. And why? Because Christ sustains. Christ is sustaining the church. Jesus never promises a comfortable life. Instead, he promises us a cross. He promises suffering. And he promised the Christians, his disciples, that they too would suffer because of their faith. And we suffer because Satan is running around causing us to suffer. The devil and the world and our flesh are all attacking us, trying to get our eyes off of Christ. And he's still trying. We live in times of trial now. But you and I, we have it pretty easy. We have it pretty nice. We have it pretty comfortable here in America, don't we? We do. We can come here this morning without worrying about someone coming in and saying, no longer talk from that book, that's hate speech. We don't have to worry about that yet. But there are places around the world where a gathering like this is unheard of and is not allowed. And so they gather together secretly, praying that God would protect them, praying for safety and security. And there are some who die death as martyrs. But do you know what? Christ is still sustaining them. They are still victorious 
as well. Even though the devil can try to take their life, their faith and trust in God, the fact that their sins have been washed away is something that Satan can never take away because Christ sustains. And these martyrs keep in mind the blood of the Lamb. They keep in mind that Satan is defeated and that Christ is ruling and reigning even now and even in death. And so if we are ever faced with that decision someday, know that Christ is still ruling and reigning and that Christ is still sustaining you and will continue to sustain you. Remember that Satan has been defeated. But how does Christ sustain? How did these martyrs overcome these accusations of the devil? The text says, through the blood of the Lamb. Through the blood of the Lamb. Through word and through sacrament. Jesus promises to sustain his bride through his word and through his sacraments. Yet unfortunately, there are those who don't think they need to be sustained. For whatever reason, there are those who don't think, I don't need God's word. I don't need to remember his blood. It's something that's happened in the past, and I'm good to go. I'll live however I want to live. But we need to be sustained as you saw in the Sunday school class this morning, as you saw in the children's message this morning, we need to be sustained by Christ. And that comes through his word and that comes through his sacraments, through the blood of the lamb given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins and for the assurance that you are forgiven. God has given us his word to point us to the victory that has already been won. God has given us his blood to remind us again that the devil's accusations mean nothing. Christ's blood has covered it and taken care of it. God has given us baptism to close us with Christ, to give us a washing of regeneration. Christ reigns and sustains. Satan is defeated. Don't be a casualty in a war that is already over in a war that has already been won. And whatever trials and tribulations come your way, whatever suffering, whatever accusations afflict you, remember that Christ sustains. Remember that Christ is ruling and reigning, and remember that Satan is defeated. As John shares with us this revelation of Jesus, we get a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes. We get a glimpse of what's going on behind this world of flesh and blood that we see behind this physical realm. We see evidence of the devil and his angels running around seeking to devour somebody, anybody, causing chaos and destruction, trying to make hay while the sun shines, so to speak, because they know that they only have a short period of time, because they know that they are already defeated. They know that Jesus Christ is coming again, and when Christ comes again, Satan And all of his evil demons and angels will be cast into the fiery pits of hell forever, which has been prepared for them. And they know that when Jesus comes again, he's going to save those who are being sustained now, who are trusting in him and believing in him. They know that he is coming to bring salvation to his people. And so they are trying their hardest to lead us astray. Trying their hardest hardest to twist God's word to take away any faith that we have in what God has said, any trust in who he is. But as we continue in his word, as we continue in his sacraments, as we continue in faith and trusting that the blood of the lamb cleanses us from all sin, 
We get to look forward to this salvation when Christ comes again for us. Yet in the meantime, as we deal with the devil and his accusations, as he rubs our sins in our faces and reminds us again of every reason we aren't good enough, of everything that we've done that we can't and won't measure up to God's standards, remember that Christ has kept them. Remember that Christ's blood has been shed for you and Christ has kept them for you. Remember that Christ is victorious. Remember that Christ rules and reigns and remember that Christ sustains. Remember the advocacy of Christ and this is the present reality in which you and I live in today. Remember that your sin has been dealt with at the cross and trust in Christ. Be sustained by word and sacrament and celebrate that Jesus is ruling and reigning even now and that soon he is coming again to bring us home. The war is won. The devil is defeated. And so today, this victory is yours in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for sending us your Son. Jesus, that you were truth, that you are truth, that you are the Son of God who came to be the penalty for our sin, who came to establish justice and righteousness, who gives us righteousness, your righteousness, whose blood cleanses us of everything we've ever done wrong. Jesus, we thank you for giving us your word and that your word points to the fact that you are ruling and reigning now and that your word points to the assurance of salvation that we can have and that your word points to a defeated foe. Help us, Father, as we live in this world to remember that Satan is defeated, that Jesus is ruling and reigning, and that Jesus sustains us. Sustain us today, O Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.